this is a series exploring the beautiful and balanced vision of the Christian life. Uh, and it's, it's essentially, it's this framework of saying, in John 10, Jesus said, I come that you may have parisos zoe. Parisos zoe, which translates into this abundant life. And, and, and as we've said a few times now, in the message version, it says, a life more satisfying than you could even imagine. You know, that's for now, it's for here, it's for this time, it's for this place, it's for this season of life that Jesus promises that to us. But it doesn't just happen. We actually need to step into it, we need to see it, we need to be envisioned by it, we need to go after it, we need to pursue it. And that's what discipleship is. It's this pursuit of doing life the way Jesus has promised us that it can be, stepping into what he has called us to. And so we've been talking about how Jesus' vision of life was not just one thing, it was actually six facets. Uh, In Jesus, we see a prayer-filled life. Jesus got away to be a person of prayer. He was the word-anchored life. Uh, We're doing that one at the moment. That's what we're currently in today. We're in part three of that today. He was the consecrated life. He lived a holy life, a life set apart. We're gonna look at that. The incarnational life, Jesus' life was incarnational, it was in real time time and real place and real history, lived with real people. It wasn't just some sort of like um, spiritual dream, it was actually real life gritty stuff. Uh, The Spirit Empowered Life, we've done that one already, we've done a month of that, this life of the Spirit and the Compassionate Life, the life that is in service of others, meeting the needs of the world compassionately. And today we are in part three of the Word Anchored Life. So far, we've raised um, the kind of temperature on how we need to be word-anchored people. We've asked, hey, what are you anchored to? Last week, Donald just knocked it out of the park, didn't he? He did this teaching last week. Yes, I had people come up to me and say, that was the best teaching this church has ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) It was. It was. And that's the gift of the body. That's what I tell myself anyway. <laughs> I taught him everything he knows. No, I didn't. No, Donald, Donald smashed out of the park last week asking this incredible question of what is the script of your living? Is it the scriptures that is giving you the imagination for your life? What is the script of your living? Uh, and today, today uh, on the tin, I'm titling today Practices for a Word Anchored Metabolism. Practices for a word-anchored metabolism. Now, usually you would stand up and we'd read a big piece of scripture together, we'd honor the word of God in that kind of way. But today I want to do this entire talk off these nine words. Okay, so these are the nine words. This is our scripture reading for today and we're just gonna handle it a little bit differently, okay? So these are the nine words. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Colossians 3.16, the first part. I want you to do something a little different today. Can you turn to the person next to you and can you speak over them this scripture? Take, take a turn each and do it. Say to each other like a little benediction. Say that scripture over each other. Go, you've got 20 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. All right. Okay, enough catch-ups, enough catch-ups. That's enough, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, within you richly. Um, The message version says this, says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house, give it plenty of room in your lives. Come on. Uh, The author of the message version, Eugene Peterson, he says this in his book, eat this book, where he speaks of how we can handle the scriptures. We're gonna talk a little bit about that today. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We assimilate it. 
We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all of the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. Hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. There's a whole sermon just in that, isn't there? Well, that's today essentially what I'm trying to do. So today, inspired by Colossians 3.16 in those nine words and this key little quote here from Eugene Peterson, today I want to ask that question, how do we practice a word-anchored metabolism? So, so far in this series, we've asked, what are you anchored to? Donald asked, what is the script of my living? Well, today I want to ask this question, what are you eating? Because if we are what we eat, then it's really good to check the diet, isn't it? Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, says Paul. The scriptures are to be taken into our lives, says Eugene Peterson. And Peterson's quote goes on to have a key and important word in it. The word was metabolism. You know, what is metabolism? Well, metabolism is a process of crucial and important stages for sustaining your life. It's where the energy of food is converted to run as energy at a cellular level in your body. Metabolism sustains and maintains your life. Every day, you are amazing. Every day, you are a miracle of biochemistry. You're metabolizing right now. Right now, we're a room full of metabolizers. Has said nobody ever <laughs> until this moment. You're metabolizing right now. Your body has consumed something and it's now converting it into energy to run you. It's by metabolism that this is happening. You have taken in something as one form of energy and it's being assimilated into your being as energy for your living. So back to Peterson, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture, we assimilate it. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, hands erased for the adoration of the Father, washing the feet of the city around us and the people that are our neighbors. As Christians, we have been given something to energize us, something to come into our bodies, something to be nourished by. We've been given the scriptures that they may be an energy to be consumed, metabolized, and lived. And as Peterson summarizes in the title of his book, we're to be people who eat this book, eat the scriptures. But are we? What does our diet actually consist of? What are we eating? Well, to answer that, let's just ask the question then, what are we reading? Now, this may not shock you, but trends in reading for own interest have been going down for nearly over two decades. They continue to drop. And in some literary engagement studies that I was perusing this week, 
reading as a hobby has dropped from hours per week to now being under an hour in multiple weeks. Okay, so we used to read for leisure multiple hours a week, and now studies are showing actually it takes us several weeks to even read an hour. The amount of books that we read in a year is now down, and with that comes a lack of patience to finish a book. We're noting that as symptoms for many half-finished books sitting on reading piles next to bedsides. And increasingly, in the generation that's currently in schools and universities now, reading is often termed a, quote, waste of time and not seen as a fulfilling use of leisure or a way of finding information. In one study I was reading, 14% of teenagers are daily reading a physical book, 51% are reading a blog, and three quarters of those polled would rather and instinctively look up a video first. They would go to YouTube, Instagram, or TikTok at the first instinct rather than the library. Our reading habits are dying. One commentator of some of the research said this, reading habits are like childhood toys. They will be dearly loved, then replaced and forgotten. So it's no surprise then that most of the turning point of this data was at the arrival of a fancy new toy that arrived into humankind, a piece of technology, the smartphone. And with that, we went from finding and hunting information at libraries and bookstores and newspapers, and instead we now do our hunting through a couple of pieces of glass that are tethered to a digital world and a global library. Uh, with the rise of the smartphone also comes the rise of social media. And together, those two things together have become not just a platform, but the new cocaine. Social media addiction is now a recognized and bona fide addiction, and its drug lords are Meta, Twitter, Reddit, and the like. We are getting our hits literally in scrolls, short bursts of feel-good takes, snippets rather than big scenes. We've traded a, a cozy nook to curl up in our, in, our, in our home and enjoy a good book, and instead we are now finding little moments of the day to pull out our phones, and while the jug is boiling, or we're waiting for a bus, or while we're sitting on the toilet, be honest in the room, that's happening, we are tapping, tapping, tapping our phones. And our brains are literally being rewarded for this tapping with feel-good hits as a result. Our reading leisure has actually now become disguised as computer leisure. And a pastor like me stands up in front of a bunch of people like you and says, we should read a book. How out of date does that feel? How out of touch does that feel? And we wonder why we give it a go. And we're baffled when we're about six or seven lines in and we realize that we can't remember the six or seven lines we've just read. Oh, what, what was it I've just taken in? Sorry, what? Start again. Anyone else? Or we're wondering why when we're trying to do the reading plan in a year and we get to Leviticus and our brain is not quite feeling the same as that Instagram, Instagram scroll is making our brain feel. And so we pull out our phone and we decide to watch another video on kook slams of a surfer catching a wave all badly. And we throw our reading in the Bible in one year plan out into the too hard basket and we just tether onto that phone again. You see, the sad truth is reading is harder than ever. 
We're so bombarded with this information and this digital content that the slow and the deliberate act of enjoying and taking time to read is eroding. And with it, as the studies that I read show, is our ability to even be slower and more considered people, to be patient people, to be resilient people, to even just be imaginative people. The erosion of reading is tied to the erosion of virtues in our lives. The research shows that the act of reading is tied to the kind of people we are actually becoming. Now, now, I haven't touched on other stats, and I know some of you will be thinking about that right now. You'll be like, okay, but what about education? What about equity? Uh, What about dyslexia? What about some other reasons that mean people don't read? Yeah, that's all completely valid, and I completely agree with you. I don't have time to kind of take those tangents today. What I'm just trying to get you to see is this big picture thing that reading is an integral part of forming who we end up becoming in life. Reading is tethered to that. Reading's a really important practice in amongst who we become. The act of reading, we actually enter into another world. Our imaginations become expanded because of reading. In reading, we see from other perspectives that we naturally might not actually put ourselves. In reading, we gain wisdom from history's lessons and history's records. In reading, we encounter stories beyond our own. And in entering those worlds and those stories and those history lessons and those scripts, we are becoming impacted, we're becoming informed, we're becoming changed. So is it any surprise that as we get worse at slow and deliberate reading and exchange it instead for a quick hit on a cell phone, that we're becoming more fragmented as people? We're becoming more anxious in our mental health? We're becoming more scattered in virtue? Can we collect those dots? Connect those dots? I think we can. I know it's not the only answer, but I think it's part of the answer. And so we could say, if we are what we eat, let's change it today to, well, we are what we read. We are what we read. You know, in my life, I have a couple of sages, a couple of old, wise saints who follow Jesus well. They're the people who are the most like Jesus to me. They're loving, they're healthy, they're wise, they're the kindest people. And I look at them and I just desperately want to be like them. Do you have a person like that? Do you know some people like that? And all of them have something in common. Every sage that I have in my life has a similarity. It's this, they all read. Not just once, not even because they enjoy it, but they have read over and over They have very impressive libraries, not just in their homes, but in their hearts. And they've eaten of one book in particular over and over again, the Holy Bible. They've chewed on it and chewed on it and chewed on it daily, weekly, monthly, annually, over and over and over again. They don't know just a few tidbits to throw away. They have metabolized this as a meal. Their lives prove it. Their living proves it. Their kindness and their patience proves it. Their care proves it. Their lack of ego, their lack of pride proves it. Their listening and observing and staying curious proves it. And I asked one of my sages once when I was meeting with them, I said, I said, how do I become like you? How do I do it? We're meeting in his office and he just kind of leaned back on his chair and he tapped his Bible 
just like this. And he just said, Dan, leaders are readers. Read this book all the time. His advice, make this book your meal. And you'll become like it wants you to become. Now this is about the halfway point of my talk. And here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to assume that you're sitting across the table from my sage that day as he taps his finger. And you're kind of thinking, I'm up for that. So I'm just going to assume you're going to go there. And so for the rest of this talk, with your okay, I'm going to ask, well, what does it mean to then become people who eat this well? If you want to eat this book well, how can you do it? If you haven't made up your mind yet, the big question is sitting here asking you with a few taps. I'll leave you with that. But for the rest of you, let's ask, how can we read this well? So how do we eat this book? How do we eat it? Well, to answer that, I want to hold two important things as we do that. I want to ask, how do we um, come to the reading of the Bible with our posture towards it? As in, how are we actually coming to the task of reading? How are we actually posturing ourselves? And then secondly, what is the content that we are reading? What is the content of this book? How do we handle that? So firstly, let's just talk about the posture of reading the Bible. You know, when we handle the scriptures, what we're actually doing is we are undertaking something called spiritual reading. That was the subline of Eat This Book. It's the subline of a few other great books. I'm going to actually show you one of them now. This is Richard Foster's book, Life with God, A Life-Transforming New Approach to Bible Reading. This is, this is his book, a bit like Eugene Peterson's Eat This Book. They're kind of the same in a couple of ways, but also they're kind of different. But this is Foster's stuff. And um, I want to give you three big quotes out of Foster's Life with God, because it's a terrific book. But these are the three big ideas that I think are important to convey today. Firstly, he says this, reading Reading the Bible for spiritual transformation is not a one-sided endeavor. It is a dialogue of human spirit and Holy Spirit. So it's not just a one-sided reading event. It's dialogue between us and spirit. He says this later on. The Bible is not a tool for sharpening our religious competence, but a living and active sword for cleaving our double-minded thoughts and motives, exposing and transforming the contents of our hearts. Ouch. Let me hear you say, ouch. See, we often say amen, but I think we should say ouch a little bit more. Okay? Ouch. Quote three. And so the test of whether or not we have really gotten the point of the Bible would then be the quality of love that we show. It has a metric. It has a metric. How well are we doing? Wow, are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming more loving? Now, Foster, and also Peterson, and eat this book, which um, Donald did a great job of pulling some quotes out last week, they're talking about a type of reading which is not just for information's sake, but for transformation's sake. So if we are to read the Bible actively with the Spirit, it will produce in us this life of love that they're talking about. This is spiritual reading. Not just reading to take on some information, but a reading of transformation. And I don't really have time to kind of deep dive on this today, so what I wanted to do is I just gave it a crack. I've created a bit of a diagram of 
Dan's working theory of spiritual reading. I've tried to sort of summarize all the stuff that I've taken in from Foster and Peterson and the like over the years, and I've tried to kind of condense it down into one little hit diagram, okay? Because sometimes we just need some squares and triangles in our lives to make sense of things. So firstly, here's the four corners of spiritual reading. Here's the four corners. Here's the things that are going on. Corner number one, the mechanical work of reading, okay? Using your eyeballs to read words, symbols, sentences, and taking them in. Okay, so we actually have to read. We actually have to sit down with a text in front of us and we have to read. Now, negotiation here, do audio books count? They're called an audio book. It's already different. We're listening. Can we listen and do this? Yes, I think we can. But also I think we have to realize that there's something about reading too, which is also part of this picture, to go slowly, to sit. There's something about just having an audio book buzzing away that's not quite the same. There's something about being able to read and go, ho, 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 stop, read again. You know, all those sorts of things. So, so reading mechanically is the first part of the quadrant. Second, we'll go to the right. Um, the second corner of reading, spiritual reading, is an understanding or an interpretation. Making sure, do I actually understand what I've just read? Do I understand the context? Do I understand what's going on? Is the, do I get what the person's trying to convey to me in this reading, in this writing? Do, do I get it? Is, it? is it making sense to me? So it's part two. Part three is the bottom left corner, we'll go down there, is revelation. Now, revelation is where reading doesn't just go from information's sake to like learn something. There's something that's actually enlightening in our spirit, something enlightening in our souls, where suddenly it's coming to life. And it's like, oh my goodness, I can, I can see this. I can taste this. Oh, that, that's truth. Oh my goodness. You know, like, you know those moments of yours, some of you are nodding at me? Like, yeah, it's not just, I've, I'm not just getting it here. It's like, oh my goodness, the whole world is opening up as I read this, wow. And then lastly, the last part of spiritual reading is application, the embodiment of it to go and live it. And now as we do those four things, as we sit with a text like the Bible and we do those four things, um, what actually happens is it's all centered around the Spirit. It's centered around dialogue with the Spirit. It's all centered in prayer. So actually to read in prayer, to read as prayer, to read as dialogue with God is to do these four things, to come to the Word of God as a work of prayer, to come to the Word of God not just as information, but to come as, as something divine, sacred, and holy, and then lastly, it's going to take time. And on the left, I've put the fact that it's going to cost time to actually do this. It's going to be an investment you have to, you have to count the cost of to sit down in the world I've just described. We actually have to sit down and it's going to cost us some time to do this. But also, it's going to take time. It's going to have this patience involved. Uh, I was kicking this around with Natalie earlier this week. I was trying to tell her my diagram to see if it made sense. And she was sort of saying like, sometimes you read something and you get it at like the cognitive level and then years later, it's like, there's the revelation of it. You know, like the time factor, the lag. You know what I'm saying? Like the memory verse when you're in primary school and then suddenly as an adult, you're like, oh, that's what that meant. Got it now. You know, there's, there's a lag to this. And all of this is the work of spiritual reading. There we go. That's my summary. Is that helpful? Making sense? Cool. All of this is a bit of a condensed describer of what I believe is happening as we try to read spiritually. You know, we do not just read for knowledge's sake. We read to understand the context and the meaning. We read to seek revelation, to be enlightened, and ultimately to be transformed. That's the goal. All of it is the work of the Spirit at the center, holding all of it together in us. And it's going to take time. It's going to take time as an investment and a posture of reading the Bible well. And it's going to take time to wait for the fruit to come about in our lives sometimes. But in our culture, 
which has conditioned us to quick information and quick results, we need to be countercultural people with our reading. We need to realize that that costly and slow reading is Jesus-like, and it's a good way to come as word-anchored people. And so if that's our posture, let me now just sort of dip into the idea of content. What is the content of what we are reading? Well, the Bible is actually a book of two levels. Okay, two levels are happening in the scriptures. There's the meta and there's the micro. So when you read the Bible, there is a meta story and there are micro details. So here's how I want you to think about this. I want you to imagine that today we're not sitting in church, but you've come to see an orchestra. And you've come to behold as this big gathering of instruments and, um, and players play and take us on this journey of a couple of songs. And they start the piece of music and it, off it goes. And it sweeps around and it dips and it dives and it lifts and it drops and it gets kind of quiet. And then it bursts out and off it goes. Like That's what we're witnessing together. That's the macro journey. But yet amongst all of that orchestra, there are musicians watching music and notes and playing their part, aren't there, Nick? Like... There's like, be disciplined. Don't, don't go off of script here. Do the thing that's in front of you. Like, you play that bit and you play that bit. No, no playing, just wait, your bit's coming. Now, you know, that's all happening in amongst an orchestra. It's this thing of a macro, meta, sorry, I think of a meta, and this thing of all these micro pieces. Or imagine, you think of your favorite movie. Your movie which tells that story the way that only that movie can. Top Gun 2, am I right? Woohoo! Best movie of the year, you know? That's the story of Maverick. I love it. Big story. Only he could do that. He's the man. Yet it's made up of all these micro pieces, all these, all these scenes, all these stunts, all of this dialogue and pieces and scenes and places and locations. It's all the micro that makes up the macro. So firstly, uh, the, the meta. Let's look at the meta. The meta is the song of the orchestra. It's the larger arc of scripture. And in the meta... We have this grand narrative and this plot of our Bibles. And it's a plot that must be always kept in mind and it must always be considered as we are reading the Bible. As we said on week one of the Word Anchored Life, we said the Bible is a unified story. It's unified. It's tied together by the storyline that it has. It has a narrative. And we must become familiar with that narrative. And so for me, I still think the best way to summarize it, and I've, I've encountered a few different ways, but I think this is still the best way to learn it and to memorize this and to keep this in mind. The meta narrative of the scriptures is six C's, all right? Creation, which is then cracked. God forms a covenant with the people of God to go be the new redemptive people in the world. And then through those people, Christ comes as the full embodiment of it. After Christ, Christ then gives the church to the world. And then we're all waiting for the final consummation of all things to be made new. And all of that story, all of that, those six C's, is the story of God's redemptive plan where he is making his beloved creation right, restoring all things to new. Can I have an amen? Amen. amen. That is the story of the scriptures. That's the big plot line. If you, were to pick, if you were to flip the Bible over like a DVD and wonder what it's about, that's what should be on the back, that story. Okay? All of this is forming an arc of God's story. And Scott McKnight in his book, The Blue Parakeet, that's where the six C's are actually coming from. If you're wondering where I got that from, that's from one of Scott McKnight's books, but he uses it multiple times actually. Um, he says this, which I think is really important to erase. He says, the unity of the Bible is the story. It is the story that puts the Bible 
together. Our grand systems do not form the unity of the Bible. The story that God tells forms and frames that unity. You know, Scott McKnight is saying here, this grand storyline, we haven't made this storyline. It's not our making. It's God's story. It's the unifying thread that he has put into the story. The whole is then what helps us to make sense of all of its pieces as we handle the pieces. So let's just go now to the micro. We've looked at the meta. Let's go to the micro. You know, in the micro, we have the pieces of the Bible, like we have words, we have sentences, we have paragraphs, we have books, we have chapters, we have verses, uh, we have our favorite story of Israel, we have our favorite parable from Jesus, we have that memory verse that we learned a long time ago, we have genres of styles of literature, writing styles and authors, we have things like context and language, we have places in the world that were on maps, still are on maps. We have ideas that meant certain things in those places, but may not actually be applicable now to our moment of history. And so we have to do some work there to figure out what that is. We have pieces that are confusing. We have pieces that are offending. We have pieces that we wonder, how the heck does this fit in our world anymore? You know, as we said on week one, John Walton's quote, the Bible was written to us, but it, oh, sorry, it was written for us, but it was not written to us. You know, we have to do the work of interpretation. And so we have this micro. The micro is rich, it's beautiful, it's an important level of Bible engagement. It really is. Getting into the details, getting stuck into the scriptures, really having a good chew and a good look around. But, uh, sorry, it's, it's, it's like when we're watching the orchestra. So if I could take you back to that analogy. The micro is when our focus shifts on like one of the violinists. Is that right, violinists or violin I? I'm just asking you. Violinists, one of the violinists, as they wait to play their piece, and then you see them get their bow ready, and then boom, 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 That's the micro, like that little piece. And amongst that whole song, that's their piece. Or when we're watching the movie, it's that, it's that one hilarious line we always find ourselves laughing at. Or it's that certain stunt that always takes our breath away, or that, that scene that makes us tear up and cry. These are the micro parts that we are looking for. But we must remember, we are watching an orchestra, we're not watching a solo violinist. And we're watching a film, we're not just watching a little trailer piece. And so we have to keep in mind, it is the meta that makes, uh, it's the, meta that makes the micro make sense. We've gotta remember that. The meta makes the micro make sense. So when we read the Bible, we're holding these two levels in tension at all times. We're keeping in mind this meta arc, but at the same time, we're enjoying all these smaller pieces and details. And so to eat this book well, we actually need to become people of those two perspectives. We actually need to take the details out of the meta and chew them sometimes. But we always need to remind ourselves not to let them get isolated and alone. We need to keep them where they're meant to be. Otherwise, we end up proof texting in really weird ways. We pull stuff out of context. We manipulate. We get out of the text what we want it to say rather than letting it speak to us what it's trying to say. And if we only enjoy the meta, if all we ever do is camp out in the big picture and we have no details or no small stuff, well then actually all we then have is this kind of like big picture view and we have nothing of grit and depth and deepness, uh, deep immaturity, all those kinds of things that come from wrestling with the actual details of the text. We need to learn to chew. And so, 
to chew, to eat well. Today, I want to offer a bit of a uh, menu of options for us today. Here are some practices. And when we say practices here in this community, what we're saying is these are the levers we can push, the things we can do to help us be formed in the way of Jesus. All right, so this is not religion and just discipline by pure, this is, this is, we're going to try and live towards the way of Jesus and to do so, we need to be formed like a trellis, holds a plant, we need to do those things. So here are a menu of options of a few things that I would love to throw you away and say, this is a menu, choose something. Have a taste. For us to be formed in the meta of Bible reading, the big picture, I'd like to suggest to you the practice of reading the Bible in one year. Show of hands, not, no, there's no shame or guilt here, but like show of hands, someone who has read the Bible from cover to cover. Who's done that? Wow, awesome. Who's done it in a year? Who's doing it this year? Cool. Who's tried? Yeah. <laughs> Leviticus, eh? <laughs> Bloody Leviticus. Every time. Every time. I know. What does it take 30 days to form a habit? And in 30 days we're landing in Leviticus every time. Like, duh! Now, Bible in one year. Now, if you haven't heard of this, there's actually a, a really great app or email that is sent out of the Bible in one year ministry, I guess you could call it, that comes from Alpha. You can look it up on your app store. It's called the Bible in One Year app by Nikki Gumbel, uh, by Alpha. And it's just this beautiful way of on January getting started, walking your way through right through to December. And in one year, piece by piece by piece, you have read the cover to cover of the Bible. Whole thing, the big arc, one year. Notice I didn't say do it in one day. <laughs> do it in one year. Eat your way through it over a year. And yes, you will get to Leviticus. And I'm sorry about that. But keep going, keep going. All right, and it's a terrific little thing. It's a practice that you could pick up if you're like, you know what, I need to, I need to read this, this big arc of scripture. I need to get my head around what this thing's doing. Now, if that seems too big or if that seems huge, um, there's also, there's a few things around and I, I have one that I could pass you if you'd like it. So you just, just let me know and I can email it, you, email it to you. But you can find it pretty easily online or through things like Faith Life. But there's also things called um, reading plans. So reading plans will take you through a certain idea or a certain topic. And there are really great reading plans to encounter the storyline of the Bible. So I have this one, and it's 100 chapters of reading of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and it's the essential parts of the storyline and nothing else. So it takes you from God created the heavens and the earth to God has made all things new and the key things all the way in between of the storyline of the scriptures. So you could just look that up. I'm going to do a 100-chapter reading plan. I'm going to do one chapter a day for 100 days to read the entire arc of the storyline of Scripture. That would be an awesome thing to do. So that's the Bible. Now I want to offer two books. So there's two books. So there's two Bible things to do. Now two book things to do. There's a book I reckon you should have on your shelf if you're a Christian. I don't do this often, but there is one. I reckon it's called The Drama of Scripture. It's a terrific book to talk about this whole thing of the storyline of the Bible. Now, it's a little bit theological, a little bit deep. It's a little bit gritty in places. It's going to be a little bit of work. But in it is this depth. And in it is this maturity to be people who to handle the whole storyline of Scripture. And if that seems a little daunting, Venn put out a terrific little book called The Insect and the Buffalo. And I would say that's kind of like the, I don't want to say simpler. It's not simpler. 
but it's maybe like a slightly more attainable and smaller and punchier version of the same idea. But I reckon either of those books would be worth picking up. Uh, we actually have copies of The Insect and the Buffalo at Community Hall, and you can find them on the bookshelf, and you can take it and borrow it and use it, or, or you can buy it straight from the Venn website. Um, but I would recommend those. So that's the meta practices, okay? So that's the menu on the left. If you want something big and nutritious for the arc of scripture, that's on the left. Now on the right, the micro. So this is, remember, this is details. Remember, this is getting into the little pieces. Lectio 365, any users? Yeah, a few hands going up, all right. Lectio 365 is from the 24-7 prayer movement, and it's an app which takes you through practices of Lectio Divina with the scriptures every day, morning and night. And it's, it's terrific. It is terrific. In fact, it was one of those things in lockdown that was like, this is feeding my soul. It's beautiful. So I would say, if the Bible in one year is the app for reading the whole of Scripture in one go, Lectio would be like the, this is where I'm going deep. This is where I'm camping out on pieces. This is where I'm just taking my time. And I'm chewing on small bits at a time, bit by bit by bit. So Lectio 365 would be another great thing to consider if you wanted to go for the micro. Also, a practice that I've spoken about many times that has been life-transforming for me over the years is praying a psalm a day. Praying a psalm a day. So actually choosing a psalm in the morning, praying it as your quiet time, chewing on it all day long, coming back to it at lunchtime, chewing on it again in prayer with God, coming back to it in the evening at the end of the day, chewing on it again. And I've actually started to now do that for a week rather than a day. So now my practice about mid last year changed from praying a psalm a day to praying a psalm a week. So now I'm just chewing on a psalm all week long for my soul, just for me. I'm not getting up here and preaching about it. I'm not counseling you with it. I'm just going, that's for me. That's my thing with God as I just chew my way through these words from the psalmists. That would be a micro practice. That would be a thing you could do. It would be as simple as tomorrow, as opening up and going, Psalm 23, I'm starting there. Right, Psalm 23, this is me. I'm camping out here, and I'm going to have a good, nourishing meal with God. So those are the uh, Bible reading things. Let's go down to the books. Now, Tom Wright, who is a voice we quote a lot here, Tom Wright has done a beautiful gift for the church over the last couple of, uh, decade or so. He has put out a series of books, soft cover books, called uh, Insert Blank Commentary for Everyone. So for example, Mark, commentary for everyone, or Acts, commentary for everyone. And they're these terrific little books, you can get them on Kindle, and they are his commentaries to walk you through a book of the Bible. So you might go, man, Dan keeps talking about this book of Colossians. Man, that sounds interesting. So you might just want to pick up Tom Wright's commentary for everyone on, I think it's the prison letters might be the one you need for that one. And it's got like three of the epistles, maybe it's Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians together or something like that. And it's just a bit of scripture, his commentary on it. But a, a bit of scripture, his commentary on it, the whole letter, the whole book. And I would just recommend if you wanted to chew on some scripture, pick up the work of the great academics that are doing great work in the church around the world. And that would be one of my picks. Just buy your way through the library over the next 20 years of your life. You know, wouldn't that be a sage-like thing to do? Is that in 20 years time, your bookshelf behind your Zoom calls is like Tom Wright books, just like stacked on, just me? Just me, okay. <laughs> cool, 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 geek alert. All right, lastly, the last book I want to offer is a book called uh, How Not to Read the Bible by an author called Dan Kimball. And in this book, Dan Kimball has picked up on some of the tricky themes that people keep pulling out um, in the Bible. And he's done a great job of deep diving into those topics. It's just one book. And here's what's really cool about it. And here's what's really relevant about it is he uses memes and internet culture as part of his arguments. So he picks up memes that are flying around on the internet and he uses them as cultural pictures. And then he starts deep diving on like what's behind 
kindness. So he talks about all sorts of stuff from like politicism right through to like, should women be in ministry through to creations? Like he's like, well, if God created the unicorn, then like, you know, like, so he's got this like meme about God creating a unicorn. He's like, what's with that? And off he goes, he kind of unpacks this whole thing. It's really, really good. It's really helpful. And if you wanted to chew on some micro details of the Bible, I'd highly recommend that book as a bit of a read. And lastly, whew, what a menu. Am I selling this to you yet? Like, are you, are you hungry? Lastly, on either side, I cannot recommend this enough. It is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The fact that it's free is insane. But the Bible Project is incredible. And the Bible Project is a website, an app, podcasts, videos on YouTube, and all of it is to try and do the work of both of those spaces. You can go to the Bible Project and you could look up their video series on the storyline of the Bible, and you could camp out there for a while. Or you could go there and be like, you know what, I wanna watch their thing on Colossians, and I'm gonna go to Colossians and then read all the blogs and then do all that stuff. So it's this amazing resource sitting there at our fingertips to be used. Please use it, it's incredible. So. That's my menu. That's my menu. And the reason I put this up today, I know it's a lot to take in, but here's my encouragement. Man, it's not about choosing everything. It's just about choosing one thing. Just choose one thing. Take one step in your Bible reading. Maybe it's just pick the column you think you need the most right now. You know what? I've been a details person my whole life. I need to go over to the meta. I need to go camp out there for a while. You know what? I think I've got the meta, but man, it's been a while since I've chewed on a couple of Greek words Go across to the micro. You know, camp out. Which one is you? And then which one is you? Well, then how are you going to metabolize this? Which one do you need to do? Which one are you going to need to do? And how are you going to make time and space to do it? And I, I just hope that today, today is not like, a, you suck at reading the Bible. It's not my heart. My heart is to say, we are reading worse than ever, which means this. Our reading now needs to become a spiritual discipline. It now needs to become something we practice and see it as discipline to do so. We need to pick it up into that light and go, man, my world is trying to form me out of this and I'm going to be counterformed into the way of reading. Because here's the thing. Metabolism requires an input. On this menu are a bunch of inputs. Don't eat the whole thing, but choose a course. And as you eat, the miracle of metabolism will start happening in your being. And that energy will be transferred from being just words on a page into energy for your soul. And as we started with, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. That's my benediction today. Oh, Central Vineyard. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you.